punctuates it, and he creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle! And the Leafs are moved again! Hello there. Welcome to the Nesson Bruins podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Logan Mullen. Joined as always and once again by Nesson.com's Lauren Campbell and Mike Cole. Guys, what's happening? You tell us what's happening. Uh, life is happening, <laughs> is it not? Hello. Hey, Mike. Um, what is today? It is uh, Thursday, February 10th. Uh, we met last week, right? We did. Yeah, right before the All-Star break. Uh, my All the days are just melding together. Um, but basically anything that you need to know about the Bruins has happened over the course of the last 48 hours or so. Uh, we've got Tuka Rask officially retiring. Uh, Brad Marchand got himself suspended six games, and Patrice Bergeron has a laceration on his head after a collision with Sidney Crosby. So lots of Bruins news. None of it's good, uh, but the biggest thing is Tuka Rask, and it was getting a little bit uh, uncertain, I guess, when he wasn't skating. He wasn't really doing that much. You weren't hearing much from him at all. The last game he played was the, the loss to the Ducks, and then it comes out, well, he might be retiring. That was on Tuesday. And then Wednesday, he officially retired. We can get into the legacy stuff in a second. Why don't we start here, Lauren, with, you know, was <laughs> how big of a blow is this to the Bruins? Does it really change much at all? Um, anything on in that sense? This is not a knock on Rask, but I don't think it changes much because he only played three games. Swayman still got his reps in, so he's obviously fresh. Allmark has been fine this season. So it's not like he got Rask got hurt midseason after going like 15-2 and two or something. Um, I mean, it, it stinks because he's been around for 15 seasons. He's It's that kind of that nostalgia 2011 core. That's another member who's gone from that team. Um but, I mean, it's unfortunate, but I also think the writing was on the wall, especially when Cassidy was like, he's not going to practice next week. And that's another week from him for him being away from the ice and just kind of starting from square run, square run one with his rehab. <laughs> Easy for me to say. Um, so I think, I think we were expecting it. I think this was his last year regardless. But it's, it's just a bummer because he's been a staple in the, in the team for 15 years. It affects their, their ceiling. It I feel like I'm always talking about the ceiling. Uh, I think it, it reduces the ceiling uh, a little bit because there was like a very small and smaller in hindsight possibility that he came back, got it together, started to look anything like old Tuka Rask, and now all of a sudden you have 85% of a former Vesna winning goalie. That obviously didn't happen, and to Lauren's point, when you start picking up the pieces, you're not a whole lot, nothing. You didn't lose anything in the last, however many months or weeks, like they played fine. He didn't cost them maybe, but one game and you, he, it, he wasn't around long enough to stunt Jeremy Swayman's growth. He wasn't around long enough to fracture Lena Solmark's confidence. It was a, an experiment for a team that, could have used the shot in the arm and, and maybe could have used the springboard of what he could have been. But other than that, I don't think it changes a whole lot. And it's just, you know, it was a, it was a, you know, he took a shot and it just, it, they fell a little short. So This is not the biggest takeaway, but 
know, Sweeney, especially when Rask came back, Sweeney took a little bit of heat for the Olmark contract. It's like, well, if Swayman's or with if Rask is coming back, then why including are you including from me? Yeah, including from one Michael Cole. But whoops. Yeah, that this is the exact reason that they signed Linus Olmark to that contract because hip injuries for a mid thirties goalie are incredibly fickle. And even if he ended up playing this season perfectly fine and you got the eighty five percent of a former Vesna caliber goalie there it's always seemed unlikely that he was going to be around for two, three, four more years. So they certainly got their insurance there and it helps that Olmark has been much better over the last month, month and a half uh, than he was earlier on in the season. So I, I ultimately don't think, I mean, Rask simply wasn't around long enough for there to be any sort of, I don't know, like you were kind of saying, Mike, upending of Jeremy Swayman's confidence or, you know, torpedoing something with Olmark. So ultimately it was an experiment that failed. Credit to all parties for trying. Uh, Rask, because he's submitting retirement papers, his cap hit comes completely off the books because it wasn't an over 35 deal. Uh, so th there's basically no penalty for the Bruins for this. So you give him credit for trying. It didn't work out. It's too bad. Uh, but ultimately, I don't think that this really changes much from where we were about a month ago at this point, uh, which brings us to the legacy thing, because few athletes, I think, in Boston history have been quite as polarizing as Tuka Rask, where there's just a bevy of different takes and beliefs. You know, there's the he's good, but he could never finish thing The he's good. But the reason he couldn't finish wasn't entirely his fault. There's the He's not good. He's a quitter. There's It just runs the gamut of all the different take possibilities. Uh, so I guess whip around the room where, you know, when you think of Tuka Rask's legacy, what, what is it to you? Um, a lot. I think that he accomplished a lot. I think the biggest thing that he's missing from his resume is winning a Stanley Cup as a starter. His name's on the 2011 Cup, right. which some people seem to forget, but he was the backup to Tim Thomas. Um I mean, he's the winningest goalie in franchise history. I think that he, his resume speaks for itself. I think that, yes, he's had bad games where he doesn't show up. Yes, 2019 was a slap in the face. But at the same time, Bruins aren't going to win when recently concussed Matt Grizzlick is the only one who scores in game right. seven. Um, they don't get to 2013 without him. And that team, the, that Bruins team, I think, was just battered and bruised through and through that they probably didn't stand a chance in seven games against the Blackhawks if the series went that far. But he's one of the best goalies the Bruins have seen probably in franchise history. Like I said, the numbers speak for themselves. He's always going to carry, you know, you said he was polarizing. So he's always going to carry that negative. He doesn't show up in big games. He lets his team down. He quits on his team in the biggest moments. But at the same time, the Bruins probably aren't as good as they have been recently without him. Yeah. He's the perfect encapsulation of this era of Bruins hockey. Yeah, that's a great way of putting um, it. He was great. He was an all-star. He won regular season hardware. He has a legitimate case as a Hall of Famer and to have his number retired. But the lasting legacy for a lot of people, and I do think it's somewhat justified, is what could this have been? And a lot of that is kind of the way hockey goes, is – Sometimes you run into game six of the Stanley Cup final against a dynastic team and you're down. Everybody is battered and bruised at that point in the playoffs. 
one might argue that's when you need a goaltender to step up and, and steal you a game the most. And this isn't even really a criticism of Rask. It just that rarely happened, at least in a cup final. Like it's it's unfair to say he never did it because if you go back to 13 and especially 19, like he was nails for all of the spring in 19 he until was so good in 19. until the end of the cup final. So they don't get there without him. But the difference, and this is completely fair in my opinion, the difference between him being a great Bruin, you know, one of the best at his position and the time during the time that he played and a legendary member of this original six organization is that he just didn't have that 45 save game when it really, really, really mattered the most. And am I splitting hairs? Maybe. Am I going to remember his time fondly with the Bruins? Of course. It's just I look at it and say it could have been a little bit more. And I think that's going to be the case with a lot of these guys as this window starts to close is that you were fantastic Bruins. It just You just couldn't quite get there. And that's in their defense, too, that's not dissimilar from the Cam Neely, Ray Bork era either. No. So, you know what I mean? And in I, history... They're probably better than the Neely. I Definitely. Bork they era, certainly yeah. are. And history looks fondly upon Neely and Bork, and I think it'll do the same thing for yeah. these guys as well. Rask is a little bit of an interesting character in this whole thing, too, because Bergeron, Chara, even Marchand, if you want to give him some credit for 11, at least they walk away saying, like, I played a pivotal role in this. And I don't want to discount the role that Tuca played in 2011 because to win a Stanley Cup, you need 20, 25 guys all pulling their weight at some point in the season. Who knows what Tim Thomas is dealing with when Tuca gives him a, a rest in in April that ends up catapulting him in May. Like there's it is truly a team sport. But like I just I I the I get the I, I get the point and I get why there's a Rask debate. I understand why people are, are very, you know, strongly you know, they have strong opinions on both sides. I do think it's one that needs a new nuance. I think the people that think he is a quitter and think he's a choke artist are completely incorrect. I think the people who say that Tuka Rask could do no wrong and it was a privilege to watch him play are not as wrong, but there is, I think you need to kind of be like, there's just one thing missing and it's kind of a big thing. I, and I, there's like no way to say that without sounding like you're critiquing the best goalie in franchise history. It is hard because you, you need one of those. You need 19 or you need 13. I, the conversation is so much different if they win one of those two. It is. Yeah. He I, is getting a parade a down debate. Causeway this morning <laughs> yeah. if that's the case. His number would already be retired. <laughs> right. And he it, probably it, wouldn't have come back. Probably not. Probably not. It, it, to me, it comes down to 19 because that was the year that was most in reach. Like I will forever be of the belief that even if the Bruins don't melt down in game six of 13, they're getting their doors blown in game seven. Like that team probably. was crawling to the finish line. So, yeah, you do ultimately need one of those to really have the sort of ironclad, like, Hall of Famer case. That said, not a lot of teams win Stanley Cups. You look at the last 15, 20 years, how many different teams have won Stanley Cups. And there there are a lot of very, very good players who have never – I mean, uh, Bork had to go somewhere else to do it. You know, so it it happens. And so I think that – Everyone's a little too close to the situation right now with Rask, where it is kind of difficult to 
appropriately measure what his career was like. Like I'm a, a good example is Rick Middleton, right? We had to wait 30 years basically to appreciate what Rick Middleton did as a player. I think that's going to happen with David Krejci. I think once some time goes by, people will look at Krejci truly in the same way that they look at Bergeron and Marshawn. And I think Rask will fall into that category too, because he was a key part of this era of Bruins hockey, where for the better part of a decade, more than a decade, they, they were competitive. And by and large, it was because of him. And, you know, I think that the Bruins set themselves up well with the Swayman and Olmark combo. I think there's also a distinct possibility that Bruins fans will learn that lots of teams go through this thing where they don't have a Tuka Rask caliber goalie and things become increasingly more difficult. Winning in the playoffs becomes more difficult. Uh, the Carolina Hurricanes of the last few years are a great example of that. So there might need to be a little bit of understanding just how difficult it is to find a truly elite goaltender for Bruins fans to fully understand how good he was. Uh, you know, it, he was obviously a great regular season goalie. Uh, tons and tons of records that he's either at the top or near the top of uh, in Bruins franchise history. And to the quitter notion, I, the a point that I've been increasingly firmly believing is that he is on the record saying that pretty much the biggest reason he came back this season was because he wanted to take another shot at a cup with Bergeron and Marshawn, more or less. To go through, to have basically the worst injury that a goalie can have, to get surgery on it, rehab it, and try and come back is the last thing that somebody who was quitting would do. Like, I don't think anybody would – he said it was a hockey injury. It wasn't impacting his quality of life. So I don't think anybody would have blamed him for saying at the end of last season, I've won a Vezina, my name's on the cup, I've got my money, I'm just going to walk away. Like, he absolutely did not need to do it. He just put himself through the last six months. So for me, I would hope that that would buck some of that uh, – discourse that he was a quitter or whatever he's also not the kind of person to go through with that just to be just to say i went through with that no screw you guys i'm not a quitter he like he so doesn't any other interests like and he does not give a damn what anybody thinks like he i think he is truly one of those guys who if he says i don't pay attention to it he means it yeah. and like i he has to look at the i mean the a master class in retirement statements, by the way. Very good. And this is something I did want to get into. I This is what I love most about Tuka Rask is he embraced the living hell out of playing for the Bruins, living in Boston, and being in this area for as long as he was. And that's despite the fact that if he turned on the radio at any point during yeah. his worst times, if he went on Twitter, if he listened to the crowd, he would say, what am I doing this for? Um. So I give him credit for that. He had a... He had a pretty thick skin, so I don't think somebody with that thick of skin goes through the charades of rehabbing an injury at his age and the amount of money he's made to, to just to come back and be like, see, I'm tough. I think it's a combination of having thick skin and genuinely not giving a shit about what other people think about yeah. him. It, because I've felt the same way that you just said, Mike. Like, I, I don't think he has ever read a reply on Twitter. I don't think he's ever read what's written about him. He said something during one of his press conferences when he came back last month that I literally sat there and had the thought, this freaking guy does not listen to a single thing that's said about him. And it's impressive. And he probably would have hightailed it out of here about eight years ago if he did. Uh, 
so I, I am definitely a believer in that notion. Um, oh, Lauren? I was just going to say, too, like he's probably the happiest with not reading anything about him because yeah. he knows what he brought to the table. He knows that he's good. And at the end of the day, even if he had the worst start of his career, he came out and answered every question. He wasn't yeah. snippy or anything. He, sometimes he kind of came off that way, but I just think that's who he is. He's just yeah. short sometimes. But, I mean, if if I read even half of what something about me, like <laughs> everything that was said about him, I probably wouldn't be here right now. Yeah, it's it, – and he was always very candid with the media. So like, that was the thing. And I think we've talked about this before is that – you always knew when he when he genuinely believed he screwed something up and when he genuinely believed he did something incredible because he'd basically address it as such. He uh I covered when I covered the team, I covered for two seasons. The first season I covered was twenty thirteen. And so he was in that for that Toronto game and that was the greatest night I've ever had as a, in this business. And it was memorable for a multitude of reasons. The one thing that stuck out for me more so maybe than anything other than the noise in the building that night was what Tuca said after the game. And I think this encapsulates the way he looks at it. And, and I think it is why he is what he is. He says it's, it's do or die. He's asked about game seven or overtime. He goes, it's do or die, either a hero or an asshole. And like, <laughs> I was like, that is such a perfect, like Tuca Rask quote. And it like, and he seemed at peace with being either obviously he wanted to win, but I think he was okay with, and maybe that's part of the reason he take, he took heat from time to time is he was so, short or dismissive of yeah. certain things he almost seemed indifferent sometimes. but i i think that is probably a good skill for a goalie to have it's yeah. not dissimilar to like a cornerback in the nfl where you need to have short-term memory um i think that perspective helps him but I th- but that's why i also think him coming back is so interesting right him making that effort is like he does care like that's yeah. in there like that's he's got that hockey thing where it's there's not just me in this room. Like, that's kind of cool. Like, you didn't see that a ton. Like, he said the right things, obviously. He was, nobody would ever call him a bad teammate. If anything, they bent over backwards to yeah. support him. It, but, like, yeah, it was kind of interesting. That Just that action tells you a lot about him, more so than anything he said. Yeah. I, I think he was just always – I don't know when this started, but it seemed like he was very at peace with basically his entire career for long stretches of time. Like, I remember – it had to have been after the the winter classic at Notre Dame where people were freaking out because he did that interview on the ice with Pierre afterwards. And it was like, huh, next time the Bruins play one of these, I might be sitting in the press box drinking beer. And I was like, does he have a foot out the door? And it's like, no, he just doesn't know what's coming up next. And he's perfectly content with that. He's not an idiot. No, like, he's like, yeah, maybe I'll like, he wasn't wrong. And like, yeah, these things don't come around every Getting upset about that is peak, like, Tuca syndrome. Yeah, exactly. Um, that right. is true. So, real quick, are you retiring his number, and is he in the Hall of Fame? He's in the Hall of Fame, but the Bruins have never retired a goalie's number. So, I'm going to say no, just judged based off of that. Should they? Yes. Will they? Probably not, given the track record. He's a Hall of Famer. Um, I think he gets his number retired because I think – Every franchise in professional sports has adopted the participation trophy yeah. idea. And I think, look at the Red Sox. They never retired numbers. Now there's, they're putting one up every year, stop. it seems. Yeah, so like I think they're not alone either. I think that's just the way it, it's trending in that direction with teams. I think the Bruins will be no different. I think he gets his number retired. Yeah, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Picture this. It's, what year is it? It's 2022. 
So say in 2037, all right, so 15 years down the road, we've got a little space. You'll still be here doing the Ness and Bruins perhaps, podcast. Yeah. Perhaps. Um, but the Bruins just have one big ceremony. 37, 63, that, yeah. 46, 33, and 40. Boom, all go up. I don't like that idea just because those guys are worth more than that. Yeah, that's, they that's true. They their, deserve to be more than just lumped night. in yeah. with a team that won a cup in 2011. It would be fitting because I think it's it's kind of a, a tight-knit group. And right. They just were synonymous with each other. It's uh, Just before we move on, it's a bummer. It sucks, man. Yeah. Uh, it's a yeah. bummer that he's he has to come to this decision. And it's a bummer that this thing's ending. And I know we're not supposed to be fans. And it's I look at it not even from a fan standpoint. It's just like, this is, it's kind of like the Patriots are in a similar boat. It, you know, 20 years of this and 15 years with the Bruins. Like, and we'll get to Bergeron. I mean, there's every time something happens to him, you wonder what the future holds. So, uh, Chara's already gone. This is probably it for him just in the league. Who knows about Krejci? It doesn't seem like that's going to be coming back anytime soon. Like, we're getting close to the end here. Um, yeah. And I think in this sport more than – except for maybe football. Like, you look at, like, the physical toll it takes on these guys. You look at the that team mentality. I, I was talking about this earlier in the office. Like, sports has kind of evolved for me as I get older. Like, wins and losses or whatever. Like, nobody's going to remember what you did on, like, a Tuesday night in December. But, like, man, to put your body on the line for – for guys who are random strangers at one point in your life and they turn into, you know, brothers and not to sound overly cliche and yeah, but like that thing feels realer in hockey than any other sport. And for those guys to lay it on the line for each other that many times and to be through the, the amount of games and the big games and the moments that they were and they provided for people around here is pretty special. I think it's going to take some time to really conceptualize that as, as fans once it's done. Yeah, it's weird. A lot's changing right now. You know, yeah. David Ortiz is in the Hall of Fame. Brady's gone and retired. You know, Rask is now retired. Like that, there that, is like an emotional reckoning coming for like people of our age. Yeah, John Lester retired. John Lester retired. <laughs> I mean, I'm I'm 27. When Rask was breaking into the NHL, I was uh, what 12, 11. So that that's very weird. That most of my developing years, but. Um, any parting thoughts on Rask before we move on? What a career. Yeah, I feel like we've all kind of waxed. I'm excited to see what he does next. I think it'll probably be nothing, but like, <laughs> I would love. I'd love for him to be a coworker. Like him doing TV say, would be, be awesome. awesome. Yeah, he's so good on TV. Uh, him would, and Razor, yeah. the guy they kind of trade little swap there, the trade. Yeah, all those years <laughs> he did ago. Did the drop button ready? But yeah. <laughs> that's I would. I can see him doing something like that, where it's like I'll be a studio analyst ten times a year. Um, or fill in as an analyst or something. He would be very good at that. Um, I could see him just but, fading away and just playing golf and hanging with his family the rest of his yeah, life. Yeah, that, that seems just more like his personality. Um, so with that, more, I guess, news that will impact the Bruins this season. So a fairly tough stretch of games coming up, and now they've got to do it without Brad Marchand for the next six of them, uh, the first of which being Thursday night against the Hurricanes a team that's just undressed the Bruins all season. So Brad Marchand gets into it with Tristan Jari pretty much all night Tuesday, and then things come to a head because Jari appeared to be screaming at Marchand, then Marchand takes a swing at him, gets pulled away by a ref, decides to high stick him for good measure, and now he's suspended for six games. 
I feel like most people would agree it was a pretty stupid thing of Brad Marchand to do. Don Sweeney said Thursday that Marchand was remorseful and feel like he felt like he hurt the team, which no kidding. Um, but now they, they basically are running without Bergeron and Marchand. So uh, I guess what would the level of concern be? Because the Bruins have been very comfortably in a playoff spot for a while, but they're about to play six games without their top two players. And you look at these opponents, too. You have the Islander, um, the Islanders, the Avalanche, my Avs, and the Rangers, and obviously the Hurricanes on Thursday. Like, this is a tough stretch that they're going to be without Marshan for sure. Maybe Bergeron, too. You don't know when he's going to return yet. I mean, it was just boneheaded on Marshan, especially you knew Bergeron was hurt. You don't know the extent of that. You probably knew it was some sort of head injury just by the way he fell. I mean, nothing you can do now. He's officially a repeat offender again. So we knew that it was going to be at least five games, especially after the in-person hearing. I mean, it's this is a it's going to be a test for the Bruins for sure. Um, it's going to be it's not going to be easy. These teams are tough, and if I mean, I want to be optimistic and say if they go five hundred in the next six games without them, that's a win. But also, I can see them going zero and six, and that's not a good feeling. It's bizarre. Um, it felt it felt like he had turned a corner. Um, that's what yeah. I'm thinking. Like, what got into him? Because you've got I, – I thought the slew foot on Ekman Larson was actually fairly innocuous. Uh, and then there's the thing with Panarin, and now you've got this. It is it is very weird. This didn't feel like a six-game thing to me either, by the way. I don't want to – It wasn't him. It's not a six-game thing. I don't want to sit here and sound like Harry Homer, but, like, I, <laughs> I did not feel like it was a six-game suspension. Um, you know, but, like, Cassidy said it. You know, he's like, he's got to be smarter. Um, he's, he's not 22 years old anymore. Uh, but it's, it's an emotional game. Like I, I know I get what Lauren's saying in a vacuum. Yeah. You'd like him to be smarter. I just don't know if that goes through his head when like, if Jerry's giving him hell or something, it's like, well, I can't punch this guy in the head because Bergie might have a concussion. That being said, you would like to think that he's evolved to the point in his career where he knows whether or not Patrice Bergeron's on the ice, he's important to that team, especially at a time right now where things are kind of going not south because they're still in a fine position. They've right. still played well recently. Like that's the thing. I, I heard panic on the uh, out of some sources with how they're playing. And it's like no, they've actually been pretty good lately. So, um, yeah, it's just weird because like it's it it just kind of upsets the apple cart and like it just is the worst possible time for this to happen. And that's the kind of thing where you just have to, you'd like to think, you know, he's, he's better than that. Like he not, not maybe he's not like, this is, he's got a pretty checkered past with this kind of stuff, but like he is legit, like a better, a player of his caliber should be more concerned with the, the really good things he does than trying to play this role or do whatever it is he was trying to do the other night. It's kind of like a, I'm not mad. I'm disappointed. That's exactly. Yeah, exactly. Sort of <laughs> That's, I'm glad you brought that up because I was thinking of that uh, I, the other like yesterday when I was mentally preparing for this podcast. It was exactly what went through my head. I was like, it's a mad, disappointed situation. Yeah. He has to have the presence of mind there to make a better decision. Like they, they talk about even in game, you know, time and situation, right? That's that's the sort of buzzword hockey coach cliche. It's just be aware of what's going on around you and. What happened with Jari is something that you would think Marshawn would probably do a decade ago. And I do believe that he's 
for the most part, gotten that sort of stuff out of his game. I mean, he he went a while without a, a few years where you kind of sat there and thought, okay, well, it seems like he's coming around with this. I don't know if it's just coincidence that there have been basically three incidents now this year or this season rather, but he just he's at a point now where if you are looking at Brad Marchand as somebody that's part of the Bergeron leadership core, which he is, then you can't be doing dumb things like that. Like how much were we ripping on uh, Justin Williams in the playoffs a couple of years ago because Marshawn kept goading him and goading him, and then he got Williams to take a bad penalty. And it's like, aren't you their captain? Like that's what he did. He put the C right there. So your captain's hurt. You're an alternate captain. Your team is running shorthanded, and you're going to do dumb stuff in a game you're losing to hit a goalie. Like hitting a goalie is never okay, right? right. Like you, you know that you're going to get in trouble for that. I would agree that all things being equal, six games is probably strong. He knows that not all things are equal with him. Like he is after the Ekman Larson thing, he was he made very clear that you know he knows that he has a history and that they look at him a certain way. So he's just got to be better about that. If the Bruins uh, have these next six games kind of go sideways, that could be a real problem. Um, I guess it might be an absence makes the heart grow fonder thing a little bit, where by the time we get through these six games, they might be saying, we just want Marshawn back. We'll forgive him right away. Uh, but I don't know. It's, it's a precarious situation. Yeah, not great. Um, it's weird. I don't think he goes looking for it anymore, but sometimes he just can't help himself. Yeah. That, yeah. I, I would say that's the difference. This is a good way of putting it is he doesn't look for it anymore. You know, when, when he's upending Sammy Sallow and – 2011 or 2012 whenever it was yeah like, that looked like something he was looking for um but now it just seems like he he found the line right he found the line okay i can't lick guys i can do this i can do that and here's what i can't do uh and just blinders there for a moment it's very odd it is but that's like i mean we talked about legacies earlier that is just going to be part of his legacy i guess i do wonder and i'm sure we'll find out the first time he talks after uh, he returned from the suspension. It sounded like Jari was really giving it to him. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure Marshawn will happily volunteer up whatever it said. But, you know, you see Marshawn get pissed, but he was hot. Yeah, that's just so, like, something We don't really there, see him yeah. get that way. Um, so something must have really set him off, which maybe there's a legitimate excuse to be had there. I'm sure the Department of Fire Safety heard it, and they're probably they, – they did not appear to be all that amused with it. Uh so I don't know. It's got to be better. Yeah, that's that's my thing. Like, what did he say? Like, what? Because like you said, he he. we've seen him get mad, but he it was like flip of the switch. And it was just like, I'm going to risk it all. Yeah. To, to just punch this guy in the head. You you could see it in his eyes like that dude was seeing red. Have you seen this? Like the pictures, like the still yeah. photos? Yeah. <laughs> he so was ready to go. Yeah. It's been a long time, if ever, that I've seen him that heated. Um. So and now we've alluded to it like 25 times, but Bergeron's out. So he has a laceration on his head. They didn't confirm that it was a concussion. They said it was a head injury, but it sounds like a laceration. People were mad about the Crosby hit. I don't really think that there was anything all that wrong um, with the play that caused it. It's kind of one of those tough situation plays. Uh, but now Jack Stadnika's up. Uh, the plan for Thursday is they're going to scratch Oscar Steen and the Halla hall Pasternak line is going to become the de facto first line. And basically the way you're replacing Bergeron is putting Studnika with Trent Frederick and Nick Foligno. Uh, so buckle up for that one. But, you know, this is a very 
prime opportunity for Jack Stanika. We were talking about this last time, right? That you got to kind of know what you have with some of those younger guys. And this might be an opportunity for Stanika to say, well, do you really need to mortgage all these assets to go get hurdle or someone like mm -hmm. that? Cause I can do fine enough. Um, I mean, I guess my thing is, is I obviously want to see what they have in Stadnika. He's been the, the name to be looking out for for so long now. But at the expense of Oscar Steen, who uh, has been playing well, I'm just like, why like, why him? Like when you – there's probably other options that you could go with and keep to keep Steen in the lineup. Um, and maybe they want other teams to get a look at Stadnika and you know, hurdle, bring Hurdle in, bring whoever Chikrin in. I don't yeah. know if he's going to be good enough to bring in Chikrin, but I don't know. Like, I'm not mad that he's here, but I'm just, why, I'm just very confused. Like, why Steen? The resulting roster shuffling is weird. Like, I, yeah. I get the allure of trying to get Felino right this season, but at, at this point, Steen, I would say, has a higher ceiling than Frederick. Uh, yes. it, you know what you have, for the most part, in Felino, who doesn't have a long-term future here. So why, you know, this will sound like more of an insult than I mean for it, too, but why are you doing the Claude Julian move? You know, why are you taking Steen out to play Felino, who's been objectively bad all season? So that would be my only gripe with it. Have they confirmed, like, it's Felino long-term? this morning. Like, oh, I, I don't know about long-term. I don't know. So, I mean, six games is a lot to kind of play with. It could be matchup-based. It could be, you know. Chemistry. I don't know. I think it's there might also be a fear of running a line of three guys who have been playing in the AHL together. Right. So there's there's that. I think from a for me the interesting part is like from a trade deadline perspective. Maybe it's not a blessing in disguise, but it's an opportunity to kind of see some more guys at the NHL level. Sadika primarily to the point that you guys made, um, and kind of take you know even more stock of what you have or show the rest of the league what you have and. You know they're in a, a fairly decent spot. I mean, losing all six of these games with, I mean, who knows? By the way, Bergeron's gonna be back. Like, yeah, if it's not a concussion, it might not be long. Right. Uh, I'd be curious to see if it's one of those injuries where it's like, if it were the playoffs, would he play through? Right. Kind yeah. Of thing. I I don't know how head injuries work. I'm not smart enough to know. Like, they don't want to mess do, around with it. Do they, yeah, it's like, do they benefit from giving him extra rest? I don't know, but. Uh yeah, so like they are where they are in the playoff or in the standings right now. They're they're pretty, you know, if they go zero and six or whatever the next six games, then they they might be in trouble. But they're if they can just tread water, they're gonna still be in the same spot they are right now. So maybe it is a chance to kind of take these next this week and a half and see what you have and and kind of get a better idea of of what you're looking at as the trade deadline gets here soon. Um. That's how I would look at it. They try to turn it into a positive and say, you know, let's work on some things and see what we got here. Yeah. And they have multiple options at center. I wonder if they kind of funnel through guys a little bit. Like, say Bergeron is out for a little bit. So I I'm wonder, saying, yeah. you know, if we start to see Lauko, Frodine, Seneshin, any of those guys get more of a look. Uh, any final thoughts? Nope. No. All righty. Well. This has been the Nesson Bruins podcast. Uh, until next time, that's Lauren and Mike. I'm Logan, and we'll see you. See you, Logan.